Hello there, welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. How are you? I hope you're well. Friday the 7th of August. I'm actually watching, if you've listened to some of the past podcast episodes with boxer Adam Harper, I'm watching his fight against Anthony Fowler, the Olympian, who's also been on the podcast. Harper, a local guy to me in the west of England, comes from Tewkesbury, near the town where I live in Cheltenham. At the moment, having a very tough first three rounds as a cut above his eyes, so hopefully uh, he emerges from this one safe and unscathed as, as Fowler trying to live up to his pedigree and certainly showing plenty of physicality and power in there. I hope you will. I hope you're going to enjoy the big weekend ahead of Sunshine. Um, and a big shout out to the podcast sponsor once again, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham. If you're looking to get some maybe audio equipment outside, entertainment out- equipment outside, because the UK basks in the sunshine, uh, check out Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV. Their social media, Bang Olufsen Cheltenham. Get in touch with Jason Briggs and his team, uh, specialists, uh, innovations, uh, installations, even. And uh, we'll source equipment other than Bang Olufsen through Serene AV, their sister company. They are housed in the courtyard in Montpellier in Cheltenham, just around the corner from where I live. And uh, good people, uh, good people as well at Cytoplan who design and make food based supplements. My family's been taking them for 20 years. Again, it's hard, isn't it? It's a, a comparison because we didn't take if we didn't take it for twenty years, I might have a comparison of how our health has been as a family. But certainly, big fans of, of Cytoplan believe in the food-based supplements. My father, Dr. Mark Draper, who's been on the podcast a few times over the summer and will be soon because he's working on a holistic one-stop shop supplement from Cytoplan that would include things like fish oil, uh, vitamins uh, C. Uh, D and all the other uh, vital components as as well as um, trace elements like selenium and zinc which he's a big advocate of particularly in the UK because he feels that over farming has left led to a depletion in the soil of those essential elements which can um, strengthen and embolden our immune systems which may be pertinent at the moment not only because of coronavirus but obviously with autumn imminent in the UK it's typically a time when coughs and colds come on the scene, which may again complicate pictures with with the fears over COVID-19 and symptoms clashing with traditional colds and flu as well. Uh, Adam Harper has just gone down, unfortunately, taking a knee in the fight that I'm watching uh, on Sky Sports. Wish him well. Um, but cytoplan.co.uk for the supplements, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk and you will get 10% deduction with the code DRAPER10, D-R-A-P-E-R. 10 and if you uh, do that um hopefully you'll uh, enjoy the supplements too let me know if you do ed draper 81 on social media ed underscore draper 81 now coming up is a podcast with josh thompson who's a former recently retired mma lightweight contended in ufc and bellator uh, adam harper just been saved at the end of the fourth round by the bell there uh, do wish him well sorry distracted voice in the intro of the podcast but at least it's sounding as live just back from work this friday night um but cytoplan.co.uk for that discount. Let me know how to get on with the supplements on social media. Uh, the podcast with Josh Thompson, who is a former, as I say, middleweight, sorry, lightweight MMA contender. Hey, he actually won a title in another organization, but a serial contender, retired in his early 40s. He's now a commentator and analyst for Bellator, uh, working on their stuff in the United States of America. It's also broadcast on Sky Sports, which is how I got to interview him for my day job been helping out uh, with some MMA interviews because Sky has rights to Bellator. It's actually a show, if you were to listen to this, in the early hours of Saturday morning our time on Sky Sports Mix, I believe, uh, or Sky Sports Action. Sky Sports Mix, Saturday the 8th of August, 3am 
in the UK. It'll be early, obviously, 10 a.m. Eastern time. And caught up with him after being to Connecticut, the Mohegan Sun Resort, because to talk about a fight between Sergio Pettis and Ricky Bandeas in the competition, but more pertinently, just to give an experience for this podcast of being in a bubble there, the differences of experiences for him and the media crew, as well as the fighters who are in bubbles and, and separate from each other ahead of the uh, ahead of their contest. So please check it out, see what you think. If you like it, if you like kind of these interviews borrowing from Sky Sports, slightly different format, more sports focused than the kind of general live chat we have on the podcast, let me know. Rate it on iTunes if you enjoy it too. Okay, here you go, guys. Uh, Josh Thompson, MMA analyst. Hello there. Welcome to a mixed martial arts conversation for Sky Sports. Very pleased to say we've got former lightweight contender, the man who was at the Bellator event this past weekend, with us uh, today to discuss matters. It is Josh Thompson. Josh, how are you doing? How was it all? Have you, have you recovered from, from all the testing and the, the protocol and the isolation? <laughs> yeah, I give enough time just to recover and then do it all over again on Monday. <laughs> you know, when I get back into Connecticut, we do the show for next week. And um, I'm really amped and excited for that show specifically because – you know, it's the lightweight division. You got Benson and Chandler, but not just that. But the fact is, is that the first card initially was supposed to be a stacked card um, with Bellator. And even though we had great fights, a lot of a lot of the top fights that we were really looking forward to uh, seeing uh, ended up having to fall off, whether it was due to injury or you know, Warnock uh, tested positive for COVID. There's those type of things that happen throughout this time that we live in. And so, um, you know, this card, you know, barring any setbacks, it's just another stack, stack card. This is, has the caliber of fights that we were, you know, a, a bunch of different fights that we were trying to put on last week. So I think it was good for us to get that first show out of the way with all mm-hmm. the, you know, testing and hotel and figuring out what we're doing and, and, you know, the safety of all the fighters and where to go and what to do. And we've got all that out of the way now. And so now next week we'll just run a lot smoother fingers yeah. crossed and <laughs> uh, you know and uh, we'll roll from there yes yeah, scott uh, scott coker was on last week and we had big john mccarthy on and, and scott was talking about the, the fight sphere big john i think we spoke to him on the wednesday he was locked in his room and he was chomping at the bit to to get out <laughs> and i think i think he was missing the social side of it how how was it for you with the protocols and i suppose whenever a combat sport usually there's an event people mingle in the hotel there's a kind of camaraderie yeah. there was it how different was all of that Oh, it's extremely different. We weren't allowed to go to the restaurants that we're in, even though they were open. People were sitting down at the restaurants. We weren't allowed to do that either. Um, we weren't allowed. We had to eat in a specific area in the employee dining room that basically was roped off just for Bellator fighters and Bellator athletes or Bellator personnel. Um, you know, we walked basically like there was there's areas that we normally would hang out and congregate. You know, whether it was at the bar or you know, coffee shops and things like that. Well, none of those things were available for us to do. I mean, just for the safety of us, so we didn't get yanked from the show midweek, you know, and then have to be stuck there quarantining for however long it took to get two or three positive tests, or I should say negative tests, you know, to show that you uh, you didn't have it. I mean, there, there was a lot There was a lot going on. People don't understand that, you know, the safety of – um not just the fighters, but like the lighting crew, the camera crew, the prog- the progress and uh, the production and all that, you know, like all the people that work in these um, shows, there's a huge responsibility by the company to make sure that no one, none of these employees and athletes get sick. And that's kind of what they did. I know there was, 
I was I wanted to, to whine and cry and bitch and moan a little bit as we had there was a lot of process, a lot of things that we had procedures we had to go through, but it, it doesn't do you any good. We still have to go through them. So hmm. I understand. But now that the first week has been done, you know we were you got to remember Bellator was the very first live show that CBS Showtime has done. You know with Viacom, you know this is the hmm. very first live show during all this COVID situation. So there was a lot of pressure on us not to fuck it up. You know, mm. when you, it's just being honest, and we have Showtime Boxing that's going on this week, but we've already laid out how it's all done and where to go, and they've had a chance to figure out where they can make it better and where they need to ease up on some stuff and, and um, you know, what they can get away with and how to make it flow a little bit better. So mm. they're, they're help, they help set up Showtime Boxing as well for them to, to be easy for them to get through this. And then when we jump back on next week, it's going to be a little bit more fluid for us just to, to go right through the process. You know, you show up, you get tested first thing, you quarantine until your results are back. And I don't know what Big John was complaining about. Our quarantine was like less than 24 hours because our results came back within like eight to 10 hours. Yeah. So we had it pretty smooth. I had some friends that came on the Friday before. Mm. And their quarantine, their quarantine was like 26, 28 hours. Wow. So because their results didn't come back. But ours came back it, within eight, eight, ten hours. I, mean, I think he was dri- I think he was driving for twenty four hours. I think that was part of the yeah, problem. Well. Fourteen <laughs> hours. Fourteen hours. That's crazy. Who does that? Uh, I don't know. It's a long, long drive from Tennessee for him. What do you? Um, what, how do you reflect? Put your fighter's hat back on. You're, you're only recently retired yourself, but the implications yeah. for this? Because Scott was very candid with us, Scott Coker last week, and he said. Look, I'm honoring all the contracts now, but there are going to be financial consequences of, of not only the fact there are no fans there, but look at the, the protocols you're outlining. Tests aren't necessarily cheap when they're done yeah. on that, that scale. Do you think that next year, 2021, there is going to be a, a knock-on effect in terms of purses and, and what's been offered to fighters? You know, um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. I mean, I can't sit here and, and speculate. I would love for them to be more fans. I would love for fighters to get as many fights as they possibly can in. You know, what? what's sad is that is there's your career is only a short period of time, and you've just wasted – the majority of them have wasted eight months now, probably maybe a full year of their career gone, and especially for those that are in their prime. I really feel for that because a year is a long time. Cause I can tell you from experience that I suffered through injuries for, you know, for years right in the middle of my prime because uh, it just was, it was just that way. And to lose that amount of time and continuously get better. I mean, I, after I'd beat Gilmore Lendis for the world title, I was out for 18 months, my next, you know, my next fight. And so that, that was right in the middle of how great I felt. I felt like there was no one that could beat me. And that's hard for some of these fighters. You know, look at the performance. And I was so surprised that Jason Jackson put on last week. Mm. He looked like he had missed a beat. If anything, he'd gotten better, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, uh, and I know um, he was fighting a really tough guy in Jordan Meehan. And it just – it was one of those fights where I, w- I was like, man, anything could happen. You know, Jordan Meehan is huge, big for the weight. But Jason Jackson just slowly, methodically picked Jordan apart. And he looked absolutely phenomenal. But there's also a lot of people that don't have the opportunity not just to train because Florida, where, where Jason Jackson trains out of, was one of the first states to open back up. Mm. It's gonna, I'm interested to see how these top-level fighters are able to perform um, against top other top-level guys that realistically they haven't had a phenomenal camp. And you can say that they haven't had a phenomenal camp because probably a lot of the fighters that they train with haven't been coming in whether for safety reasons 
or maybe they have been coming in, but there's so many things that go along with training because it's, you know, gyms don't want to shut back down either after this long level layoff. So what happens is they, you know, there's so much to take a shower, do this, try to maintain your social distance up until the time you spar, up until the time you do drills, whatever it is. Telling people not to go out on certain nights, you know, don't go out Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, whatever nights, stay away from bars. That's hard for athletes. That's hard because, you know, this is their time to be out and be social and share their popularity. And that's, that's something that's hard for them to go through as well. I mean, overall, um, there's a lot of things I think that uh, people are excited about. The fact that we are back, that's one. And uh, I just want people to, to sit back and enjoy what the fights are and how hard these guys have been able to train during this, you know, during this time. Yeah, it's a very, really good point about the training in terms of the disparity of, of how some can train full, full throttle and others aren't having that opportunity. Let's talk about the main event, Sergio Pettis against Ricky Bandejas. Unanimous decision for Pettis. What did you make of that? Were you surprised by it? It was kind of how Big John laid out for us last week. Yeah. How he felt maybe it would go that Pettis was just a little bit more polished as a as a, as a combat, especially. I like to give Big John McCarthy a, a bunch of uh, flack about some stuff, you know, but <laughs> um, but him and I had definitely agreed on this uh, opponent, you know, when it came to Big John, or when it came to Ricky Bendejas and Pettis. We'd agreed that one had to implement one way and the other person had to implement his. I, I was also leaning towards Pettis, given that he's got such such relaxation in the heat of the storm whereas ricky is still relatively growing as a as an athlete um he's not he hasn't been i don't think as training as long he's not as fluid as pettis is on the feet he does mm. great things he just i think the the extra movements from ricky um makes him a little doesn't make him tired but it, it shows the tales of, of some to somebody like a pettis who can see and read what's going on. So I think once he had set in and realized he was winning the rounds, but, you know, Pettis was winning the rounds, and he wasn't winning them by a landslide, but he was enough to let the judges know that he was winning that round. And so I would – I mean, like, for me, I thought it was a great fight. I thought it was, it was a classic case of where one person was able to shut down what the other person, whatever they wanted to do. So Pettis was able to – make Ricky miss and counter with a leg kick or make Ricky, Ricky miss by, by slipping a punch and then countering with a punch, you know? And he also mm. kept him guessing at range where he was able to throw spinning back kicks, spinning hill kicks, snap kicks. I mean, he was able to do a lot of things from the foot from, from on his feet. Whereas Ricky, he had success with the takedown and he never went back to it after the first round. And yeah. once that happens, you can see that somebody is in their mind that like, okay, this isn't this. He doesn't know what to do. And mm. as the fight went on, he never made any adjustments in and adapted to a change that could potentially get him the win. And that just comes with more experience. I gotta tell you, that just comes with more experience. Listening to his coaches and King Mo, and you know whoever else was working his corner, but King Mo was there working his corner. I heard Mo telling him what he needed to do, and he just never made those adjustments as the fight went on. So that's more of a Ricky thing, I think, experience thing factor, as well as his first time ever made a vending a show. There's a lot more mm. pressure on you for that. So there's a lot of things, you know, no crowd, but either way, crowd, you know, whatever, more, you know, everything going and being a factor, not being a main event, it still was a tough task for him to beat Pettis. Yeah. We talk about flow, don't we, in sport? It, it seemed as a non 
fight to myself looking at that maybe there was just a few moments of indecision on Ricky's yeah. part where it took, it took longer to figure out what he was going to do whereas maybe Pettis was more in that flow state that perhaps that yeah. it was it was automatic did you did you see that there was, a, there was those sort of momentary I guess where there's a, a brain process on, on Ricky's part well uh, what, what I saw was when Ricky decided to throw he had success but Pettis had kept him guessing with the spinning kicks and the jumping lunge punches, you know, Superman punches, whatever you want to call them. He had kept him guessing where the, where everything was coming from, whether he was going to slip and counter or if he was going to be the aggressor and, you know, and lay into the legs. And when you keep somebody guessing like that, it makes it hard for them to set a game plan. Ricky, mm. though, when he threw, he had success. He landed some clean punches. He did some good stuff. He just didn't do it anywhere near as much as Pettis. And it wasn't anywhere near as effective when he did throw, you know, um, he would move, Pettis would move him back when he would strike or he would move back and circle. Whereas when Ricky threw, Pettis would stand his ground and get into an exchange with him. And, uh, and that didn't work to Ricky's advantage. I mean, I'm a big Ricky fan. I'm a mm. huge Ricky fan. So um, he, he could come back pretty, pretty well and learn from it. Yeah, I think he will. I look, I think I, here's the thing. He explodes onto the scene after beating James Gallagher. Okay, and then he, you know, then he has. Uh, I think his next fight was another fight where he ends up knocking the, you know, Kimubu, or he was a, mm. or a tough wrestler kid. Mm. Beats him, knocks him out. Then he loses to Juan Archuleta, which I mean, is, who is now fighting for the title, you know, at 135 pounds against Patchy Mix. He's he's fought a bunch of like tough, tough guys. Then he fought Patchy Mix and he lost a rear by a rear naked. You know, then he goes on and he fights, gets a couple of rounds off, a couple of wins, very impressively. He's a gamer, you know, and so with him, there, you know, he hasn't, he's never asked for, I don't think, for any favors. He obviously will take any opponent. He'll take them anytime. The fight that I'm looking forward to seeing is maybe he fights Pettis' teammate, who also won now, is you put him against Rafael Stotts, who had a great performance against Cass Bell this last Friday. And I think to me, that's probably the next step for both of them to kind of see where they're ranked at, you know, in the 135 pound division. I'd love to see Ricky and Stotts. And Stotts yeah. and Pettis are similar, uh, but Pettis, I think, with a little bit more experience. And that's about it, man. That, I think this is, that's, a good, that's a good fight as well. I'd also mm. like to see Brian Moore, you know, um, against Ricky as well. That's another good fight. Or Rafael Stotts and Brian Moore. I think Brian's mm -hmm. at 145, but I know he's fought, I think, at 35 as well. But that's another fight that I'd like to see. So, who knows? Yeah, you said beforehand that this would give you a sense of where Pettis is in the, in the bantamweight yeah. division. Where, where do you put him now in terms of hierarchy i mean i don't have to put him anywhere the belters already pulled him at the basically fighting for the title shot next mm. you know they just and what makes it interesting is that like i said rocky on stocks had a dominant performance against cast bell they'll give him maybe one or two more fights before he ends up getting to the title and you know pettis if he's there i mean our teammates gonna fight each other so i don't i don't like to hold up divisions but i've always said this and if team if you guys are teammates you have to have an understanding that when the title is on the line you guys should fight you know, if it's not for the title, I understand why ruin a friendship, why, why, uh, why knock one of your teammates down, you know, to where they don't get a title shot. Why would you fight for a number one contender spot or for just a contender spot, period, if you guys are teammates? But when the title's on the line, I sure hope that they're willing to step up and fight each other. Otherwise, one person's going to be a gatekeeper and the other person's just going to enjoy being the champion. And that never really works out too long if you just look at the history of the MMA. You know, Tito Ortiz, Chuck Liddell, you know, Rashad Evans and John Jones. I mean, there's tends to be a little bit of animosity somewhere in there that develops, you know, when it comes time to for it. But they need to have this conversation, you know, sooner. They should have already had it, to be honest. So.
Yeah. Oh, I think him and Juan are very interesting stylistically because Juan makes it interesting for everyone. He has that, you know, kind of that same mix of like his his footwork and his striking is that TJ Dillashaw. It's mainly like, you know, Dom Cruz. He, you know, they kind of have that that style of fighting um, that they've come up with over the years. That's going to pose a threat for anyone constantly changing angles, constantly, you know, having to – figure them out, you know, throw and, and cut the cage off. Those are things that are a problem mixing in with the wrestling. When you go lunging in, it makes it easier for that person to take you down. Juan Archuleta is, 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 is um, very unique. And the reason why he's unique is he's someone that fights at 35, fights at 45, and he fights at 55. And he can do that all within, you know, a short period of time. Like, hey, I need to get you up to 45 after just fighting at 35, you know, in, in five weeks, and he can do it. Um, he's... He sometimes lacks, you know, the – sometimes he, he doesn't pull the trigger as often as he should given his, his skills and his ability, you know. Um, he needs to start picking that up, I think, a little bit, you know, having a little bit more of an output. You saw that against Ricky Bendejas, and you saw it again against uh, Patricio Pitbull. And those type of things is, it can lead to fights where, you know, especially when he fought Patricio, that – had he had a little bit more output, there could have been a little bit more pressure on Patricio to perform, you know, or not perform, but to to uh, to get into a brawl. And that's kind of what you wanted to do with him to kind of try to slow him down. As far as with Patchy Mix, I can't tell you, man. I got to tell you, this kid, this kid is, this kid is probably everybody's worst nightmare in the game right now. I, I, I've heard stories. I've seen personally. The kid's nasty good, you know, like you get him to the, if he gets to his hands on you and I'm not just talking about, you know, on the ground, if he gets his hands on you. He's going to take you down. If he doesn't take you down, he's going to jump to your back. And when he jumps to your back, it's over, you know, and he finds ways in success to do this. It's very, it's very interesting to see. And I mean, like I said, I've heard stories and I thought it was all like, Oh, a little bit of hype, but the way he has systematically just dismantled everyone that's been in front of him, you know, uh, by taking their back or by getting them down or doing any of those things. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. I don't – I think this is that fight. People underestimate how tall he is, how long he is, lanky he is, how fast and explosive he is to get into the clinch. He's got different and weird and awkward setups where he does get to the clinch, how he takes you down, how he takes your back, all of these things. For Pettis, that's probably – it's a nightmare matchup. So he sh I think he should be probably rooting for one Archuleta to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was I was thoroughly impressed. I was I was ex extremely impressed with I guess how can I put this? I've I've always known he's had the abilities. I think everyone's known he's had the abilities. But what you have to understand is that, and he said it himself in the fighter interviews, he didn't know shit about fighting, like MMA fighting. That's, there's a difference between sparring with Miguel Cotto and, and hitting mitts with Freddie Roach. And there's a difference between doing those things and then also just wrestling on the Olympic circuit 
that's there's a difference but you have to put the two things together at mma and he just he was not able to do it he's done it now i mean like he still has work to do though and he knows that i think you know, for sure he knows that but we just have to remember that he's young i want to say he's 23 years old he's a baby still he still has so much more room to grow and he knows that um I, w- I was just impressed. He, when he didn't waste any time, went out there, got the takedown. And I said this on my podcast with Big John weighing in. I, we just, he impressed me the most in the ground and pound area because he had landed some clean, heavy shots from the top that forced Solo Hatley to turn and give him his back. And man, it was nasty. And when you can force someone to turn, just give you his back, and then, you know, Pico was able to get the hooks in and, he had told us how he's just fallen in love with jiu-jitsu. And that's, that's amazing. That's great. I think he's got all those tools to continue to do what he does. If he can start to learn just the basics of jiu-jitsu with his, with his wrestling abilities, he's going to be a savage. You know, the hip control, the pressure, the, the ability to take you down at will anytime he chooses. Those are things that it takes years and years to generate. And to, and to learn and educate yourself on. And he's doing it in a, such a fast way by being at Greg Jackson. I can't imagine him not getting any better, which he will. But can he? I'm not ready to say title talk yet. Let's slow it down a little bit, okay? Because that's what happened. With... No, no, he's not. No, he's not even in the Juan Archuleta conversation. He's not even in that. Let's give him time, you know? And like I said, he's still 23 years old. Putting it all together takes years. And I'm, I'm, I definitely wasn't ready to write him off. You know, it just, there had to be a, a straight convert. It had to be a, an honest conversation about what he needed to do to get his career on track. Because when you start talking Patricio and Juan and, and Patchy mixed fights or whoever else, you know, I mean, anybody at 145, you know, uh, AJ McKee and those guys, let's slow it down. Let's, let's keep them outside of that featherweight tournament that we're hosting right now. Let's keep him away from those guys. Let's give him a couple fights to get his, you know, get his record up, get him more cage experience. And then, uh, and then, you know, and slow play it. Because what happened the first time is we put so much pressure on him. You know, and that people need to remember when he exploded onto the scene, he was fighting at 155. And all that pressure we put on him to fight this guy, fight that guy. I think him not knowing anything about the sport, he thought there was – the financial is the pressure of him making as much money as he was making when he came on. And then the hype behind him was the pressure. Um, you know, the show itself is the pressure being in front of a crowd like that. Everyone there to watch him fight. All of those things is more pressure than he needed. And he didn't even know the sport. I think now, once now that he knows more of the sport, now he knows how to put things together. I think we're going to see him just gain knowledge leaps and bound which is going to just catapult him into fighting some of the best guys but let's give it some time i'd say give me two years give me two years yeah that's just years of practice so it's really up to you and when you want to implement it look with with justin gaethje and with um aaron pico 
they've got something that I, I never had. Was I never had any power in my hands. Both those guys got savage power, you know? So when you're talking about why they've gotten away from their wrestling is because if I could knock dudes out like that, I probably would never have, never have tried to wrestle or do jujitsu. I would have been like, yeah, screw this. <laughs> you know, these guys, these guys can stuff your take down and they can knock you out. And that's, that's scary. I think for a lot of people to have to deal with, um, you know, if I had the power that either one of those guys had, like I said, I would have probably stood a heck of a lot more than I really did. Uh, but it was probably a blessing in disguise for me because I never had power. So um, for them, it really just comes with more time and practice. You need to know when to wrestle, and that's just instinct. You don't have time to think out there. If you're out there thinking, that's a second lag, and that means it's a second more that your opponent has to hit you in the chin, you know, and knock you out. So you don't have that time. This is just years and years of repetition. If you walked in and you said, Hey, Aaron, when do you know how to shoot? When do you know when it's a good time to shoot? Like in a wrestling match, you would say, well, Aaron would say, well, the one I set it up. Well, I mean, like that may be different for you. And when you can get it done, I can't get it done the same time that you can. I mean, Eric's wrestling, uh, not Eric, but Aaron's wrestling is, is I would say probably the best in Bellator. I think just hands down, probably the best. And we've got a lot of good wrestlers that are in there. He's really good, you know. And uh, you've got Ed Ruth there. You've got, you know, John Fitch there. You've got, you know, a lot of these guys, Juan Archuleta. You know, you've got a lot of good, good wrestlers in our organization. But I think Aaron right now, I think not just right now, Aaron is the best in, in wrestling in our in, in Bellator organization. So for him, it's just going to come time. You know, it's going to become more time with whether it's uh, – with Winkle John or whether it's with Greg Jackson or whether it's with whoever else he has out of that camp with Greg Jackson. It's going to come down to him um, just drilling and drilling and drilling and, and getting into his head on one's good opportunities to strike and one's good opportunities to wrestle. You know, I'm excited. I think uh, I think it's criminal that this is not a five-round fight. <laughs> you know, I think that's the only thing. Other than that, I mean, I understand. Like, you know, Bellator, we've been avoiding the whole five-round fight. Five rounds for just main event guys. You know, saving these guys' careers for an extra, you know, for an extra year or two would be amazing um, for these athletes. You know, it gives them more opportunity and more time to make a lot of money. And so I think adding that, that five-round main event status is, is really something that's just shaving years off the fighter's life, you know, for no reason. Excuse me. There's no um, – excuse me. There's no there's – no, there's absolutely no reason for them to be fighting five rounds in main events. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would, I would like to see it, you know, especially for fights like this. But not all, but not all main events need to be five rounds. Um, there's, there's some fights that, you know, um, that I just don't, I don't want to see five rounds of, you know, I want to see three. And once that happens, then maybe when they fight someone else, you know, I'd like to see that five round fight. There's just certain fights that I would love to see five round fights. Uh, not all of them. Oh, it's enormous, enormous. I mean, you really have to, you really have to figure your body out, you know, throughout your camp. 
I mean, that's the thing. Is it's not even so much the fight for five rounds. It's the camp for five rounds. It's an extra two rounds. It's an extra two rounds of sparring every time. It's an extra two rounds of grappling every time. It's an extra two rounds of jiu-jitsu every time. It's an extra two rounds of wrestling every time. It's an extra two rounds of mitt work every time. I mean, you're, you're doing an extra, you know, probably another extra 10 or 15 minutes of cardio every time. It's a lot. It's a lot to really um, to take in on your body. If you don't, if you don't, want, if you don't manage your body very well, you're going to fall victim to overtraining and then just being flat throughout your whole camp. And then once that happens, it's hard to really recover to get back on track for the actual fight. As you do, and I speak from experience in this, all these situations is after I won the title against Gilbert Melendez, I I thought I had to train harder. Well, obviously everything I was doing was working. But I didn't see it that way. I so I went out and started running more in the morning. I started doing sprints at night on the hills. I started, you know, adding in extra bits and extra this and extra that. And there was no reason for it. I was already the champion doing what I was doing, but I felt like there was a need to add more because I was the champion. So then you take it to these guys. It's a main event. So what do they do? They train more. They run more. They do this which they need to, but they have to do it in moderation. They have to know when. Okay, today I'm going to add two rounds of mitts because I feel like my striking wasn't as good in, in sparring last week. Today I'm going to add two more two more rounds of wrestling, like takedown defense or takedowns because I couldn't get takedowns on so-and-so last week in sparring. There's things that you need to work on, and, you know, you focus more energy on that until you get the back, back to where you want it to be, you know, to get the job done per the opponent. And so, um, you know, there's there's just – there's a lot more wear and tear on your body if you don't manage your body properly. Yeah. That's always been my sense with Ben. Um, that was the one thing when I fought Benson that I said, that I said for sure 100% he needs to make these adjustments. And what I meant by that is that the, that's always been the adjustment. When I watched tape on him, he when I watched tape on him, I knew that he was a slow starter. And so I needed to come out and be aggressive in the first two rounds. And I did. You know, and I think the same thing, the, the thing is with him, he's been he's been telling me for years now, right since he signed with Bellator, oh, I'm gonna start fastest fight. I'm gonna start fastest fight. He never does. But he needs to understand, like I said, this is a three-round fight. And Michael Chandler proved in the first fight that he can get through three rounds, you know, or I should say two rounds, you know. But he can squeak through and win two rounds, two of the three rounds, without exerting too much energy or overexerting energy as well and still be able to bear down and fight down on his mouthpiece, you know, save himself in the third. Benson needs to get on him quickly. Needs to get him to use a ton of energy in the in the first round. And if he does that, I think there's a good chance that Ben can beat him. But will he do it? He's been saying it for years. He was going to start fast, and he, I haven't seen him do it yet. So until he proves to me that he he's going to start fast, you know, I, I'm going to have to lean towards Chandler. And as much as you know, I'd like to see uh, Benson, you know, get after him. It's it's. It's, it's hard because he's fought his whole career one way, you know, and as far as being a slower starter. And he's, you know, and, and credit to him that it was normally in five round fights because he was the champion or he was fighting for the championship or he was the main event. And so that being taken away now, that doesn't give you the luxury of having a slow start.
Well, you know, I don't, I don't know. So there's a couple of things. It could be, it could be physical. And what I mean by it could be physical is that maybe he doesn't warm up as well. You know, I mean, for years, if, I mean, I know a lot of guys that warm up for 35, 45 minutes in the back. Uh, I know guys and I know girls also that just like they hit the pad for maybe one or two minutes and they're done. So it really depends. I think maybe he gets a better warm up in the back and gets the juices flowing and maybe that'll help increase him uh, physically to get going once he gets out there. But I, I think with him, it's more mental. I think mentally it's uh, okay, let's go. Let's go. He wants to, he wants that filling out process. So he doesn't, so he doesn't get clipped. He wants to see things in front of him. He wants to fight develop in front of him, but that's what a smart fighter does. But in a three-round fight, ooh, it's hard to do, especially against someone like Michael Chandler, who is fast, explosive, and who who can who has the power and the explosiveness as well as the abilities to to win the first round against anybody. You know, I mean, uh, but can he can Ben push him to the point where he uses so much energy, he's able to take over the fight halfway through or the full second round or halfway through the second round to win him the rest of the fight. That's, that's yet to be seen. Yep. Yeah, I think it adds a ton of pressure to him. I think, um, you know, he's, he's banking on himself. You know, he's, he's uh, banking on himself. So we'll see. I think... Look, fighting's already hard enough as it is. And I've been in that situation. You know, I was in the situation with Tony Ferguson. You know, is, is one foot out already? Or, or are you planning on staying, but you're just waiting for, you're waiting for the right numbers and you're hoping that this last win will give you the right numbers, uh, you know, that you want to see from the promotion? I, I don't know. The answer is to be, and the only he knows the answer to that. Do I think that he has a good shot of getting what he wants if he if he has a dominant performance? Probably. I mean, you know, it didn't hurt it didn't hurt his or didn't didn't help his stock that Patricio at 145 came up to 155 and took his title. You know, that's that that didn't help his argument, you know, losing to a 145-pound champion. Don't get me wrong, Patricio is definitely no slouch. We've seen that. Um, you know, so I don't know where he goes from there. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that um, that only Michael Chandler can answer. Yeah. Um, look, there's there's a, there's a bunch of new, I talk about this with Big John, who's I do my show with, is Big John. Who better who better to get information from or talk to about or what you think and what you see, and we talked about this on my show is that 
on our show is that I see both sides. You know, I see Herb. Um, he was going to stop the fight, but then Trinaldo stopped and didn't hit him, you know, one more time. I also see Dan Hardy's point of view, and I see where we're at in this as a fighter, and not just that, but as an analyst and a, and a, and a caring person. You know, I mean, if you're going to sit here and, and brutalize him, and, and whether it's Dan or with her, both of them had different emotions and feelings during that time. Had Trinaldo ran up and hit him one time, I think Herb would have stopped it after the one shot. But the fact is, is he ran up and he stopped because he didn't want to hit him anymore. It was clear that Herbert wasn't defending himself. As, as no matter what Herb wants to say when, in his video, it was very clear that Herbert's hands were up, but they were frozen there. He wasn't even looking at Trinaldo. He was looking off to the side. His legs were up, but they were more like in a stiff, stuck position and not really, not really bringing them up to defend himself. People need to remember if they go back and watch that, Trinaldo stopped for a good second or two before he even landed a punch. And Herb didn't stop it. Then he threw the punch after two seconds, maybe even longer. I would say two seconds, though. And the, the punch landed clean. That should have told you already that Herbert wasn't there. He landed two more shots after that before, before Herb Dean jumped in. I think it really just comes down to the fact that <clears throat> whether Dan knows the fighter or not, I think Dan showed that as a human – He's got a lot of um, emotions built up inside for and for athletes, for fighters, for people that have been in there taking shots that are unnecessary. And I'm sorry, but I'm never going to criticize someone who has that emotional feel towards other human beings. This At a time that we're in right now, worldwide, this young man is out there just caring for the livelihood and self-well-being of people out there that are in that cage and putting their, putting their life on the line. I think this is... Yeah. Yeah, I like I said, Herb was put into a shitty situation based on the fact that Trinaldo didn't follow up and land try to land another shot right away. If you go back and watch the fight, Herb was gonna jump in had Trinaldo stepped in and threw a punch. The fight was would have been done. And who knows? We've seen we've seen several times where the fighter gets hit. Once he hits the ground, he gets hit again. He wakes up and he grabs the legs and he's able to work back up to his feet. So I can see, like I said, when I can see both sides of it, you know, had Trinaldo followed up, the fight probably would have been stopped a little bit sooner, but he didn't. But I also think though, too, that once Trinaldo did follow up after a two second delay and the fighter still hadn't defended himself for another two shots, after the first shot, it should have been stopped. Like, he should have jumped in. He was right there. But, like I said, going back on, seeing both sides. This all happens within seconds, you guys. Like, we're at home being, you know, couch warriors. We're sitting here, you know, being a couch critic. I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here on my, you know, my dining room table just roasting Herb Dean right now. And it's, it's not meant to be that way. It's just, like, you have to give these refs – just like you do in the NFL and the NBA and all these other things, things happen in a split second in live action. And it's hard. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard, 
but they're also, this is their job is to be on time. It means to make sure that they're saving people from unnecessary damage. So either way, I think Herb didn't make it better by doing his video. That was one. He should have just left it be. Yeah, I, I think it was, I think it was not a good decision. You're the referee. You, maybe you agree or you don't agree with what, you know, Dan is saying. But the bottom line is, is that there was no reason for him to do a video. And I actually think it made it worse for him. You know, so, um, because, you know, well, I mean, let me give you an example. I'll give you an example. This was, this was, uh, I was thinking back a while back and <clears throat> there was a time when Frank Mir was a commentator, a commentator at WEC and there was a fight between, gosh, I can't remember who. But it was somebody in Mark Hominick. Somebody, that, that person got on Mark Hominick's back and choked him out. George Roop. I think it was George Roop. That person gets on his back and chokes out Mark Hominick. Well, the ref was standing in the wrong position. Mark Hominick was choked out and for so long that when he finally let go, he started convulsing. So the ref was in the wrong position. So people were yelling. Frank Mir yelled. Stop the fight. He's out. He's out. Stop the fight. I'm sorry, but the ref was in the wrong position. The kid had been out for, you know, Mark Hominick had been out for a couple seconds already. And this guy's still choking him. Had someone not yelled that, you don't know what the hell would have happened. You know, and I know these are very rare occurrences, but I would rather people like Dan Hardy speak up with his expertise, by the way, of him being a former fighter and very and being one of the best you know, for a duration of time, that he does speak up. Um, that lets me know that he's got a little bit of that, like, that passion for the, for the sanctity of humanity. I mean, like, he is someone that really appreciates the human, you know, human being. And I can't be mad at that. How can you be mad at that? It's, so for me, for me, like, in that situation with Frank Mir, potentially could have, save Mark Hominick from more brain damage or anything else that would happen for being choked out for a long period of time, you know, and here in this situation, it was one of those things, an extra one or two shots beyond the three that he had already taken was good as well. I, I do understand from her point of view, like, Hey, I know what my system is and yelling doesn't make things better, but you can't control someone's emotions that those type of emotions telling someone not to sock somebody else in the face is a different emotion or spitting on somebody. That's a different emotion. You can control that, but their emotion to jump up and say, don't do that. That's just, that's something from within him. And I'm not, I'm not going to ever hold that against Dan Hardy. Well, you have to remember that when we, even when we just talk, it seems like we're shouting because there's energy behind our voice when there's no crowds, you know, like we're trying to talk a fight. I'm trying not to say things too loud because the fighters can hear us, you know? So, I mean, there is like, like I said, when Herb Dean did his video, it, it just didn't make sense. Like you, like you've done these fights several times. The, the fight desk is in the same spot or the, the commentary desk is in the same spot. The refs are in the same spot. The, kid, the judges are in the same spot. Nothing's changed. You know, so when he did his video, he said, I didn't know where it came from. 
and then he refused to mention Dan Hardy's name or he didn't mention Dan Hardy's name. It just, it just doesn't look good. It's, it's a bad look. You should have just not done the video. It was very, it was, it was, it was like, it was like almost like you're just trying to save face and you're lying now. And that, that's something that I don't think, I don't think it did him any, I don't think it did him any favors by doing that. He should have just, Hey, this job is hard and difficult. I understand Dan's position. I said, and I have my own position because I'm the ref, I'm the one in there and I did the best I could. And, and, uh, you know, and whether he was admitting fault or not, he did the best he could. That's it. That, that's what it should have been left at. Yeah, it's mainly, it's mainly like when you corner your friends. I mean, you gotta, you guys gotta look back at, you know, I mean, when I fought, when I fought Nate Diaz, his brother Nick threw the towel in that's emotions you know i mean nick was hurt or nate was hurt obviously but but look man you can't write somebody like nate off jai was hurt he was out and so dan whether they're whether they're buddy buddy or not that's just him being that's just him being a concerned uh former fighter or fighter for someone who is who he happens to know and i'm not i'm not gonna be mad at that i mean he everyone will always be in a tough situation when they see see when they see one of their friends fighting doesn't matter it's hard it's hard to it's hard to tell them it's not you're even winning that round it's hard to tell them that you know or how do they can to console them after a loss you know those are all things that are hard you hate to see them lose you know it's harder to take a loss of your friend than it is sometimes to take it for yourself so you know what i mean it's it's a tough situation to be in you, you, you see it but i think with him there was the emotions of he had already lost and and uh, he, Dan Hardy just cared for whoever it was, whether he knew him or not. I think that would have been the same reaction from Dan, you know, even if it would have been an American fighter or an Australian fighter or, a, you know, a Brazilian fighter. I think Dan would have still done the same thing. Just my opinion. Yeah. Yep. I. Yeah, we are there. We're at, I think Scott Coker is calling it our Bellator sphere, and uh, we like to just call it the bubble. But it's like we we pretty much are in this little bubble, and uh, it's been fun. I mean, like it's it's good to be back. Like I said, we were the first Bellator <clears throat> was the first live show or live show event that CBS Viacom and Showtime have put together um, since COVID has started, and so it's good to know that we were able to be the first one and get through with no you know with no hiccups. And, um, and then now it's all set up for, um, <clears throat> now it's all set up for, you know, for next week's show for Showtime Boxing. They're on track right now. And then after Joe, after them, um, we, we, we do it again and then we rotate it back and forth. So it's going to be like this for a couple of months, I believe. And I, we've got the routine down. So I'm excited for it. <clears throat> Uh, we'll do my man. Hey, you guys take it easy. Thank you guys. Bye. So there we go. It uh, podcast over with Josh Thompson. Interesting the permutations, ramifications for people in mixed martial arts, boxing, combat sports, any sport in the post, well, not the post, the current coronavirus pandemic, financial impact on the world, really straining and, and where the money will be available for purses. Uh, Scott Coker was on the podcast, wasn't he? The president of Bellator Mixed Martial Arts just talked to me about 
and it was an interview I did on Sky Sports again, and the ramifications of the situation on future contracts, so honouring current contracts and fees and what that will be. Talking of which, I was very excited at the start doing the intro for the podcast because Adam Harper was under some severe uh, pressure. I was actually kind of uh, wincing. And he has now lost to Anthony Fowler, who was on the podcast last week in a super welterweight clash in Essex tonight. As I record the podcast, the intro and outro. And uh, he was thankfully the referee got in the way and Fowler was sort of pinning Harper on the, the, the ropes and had him under a heavy pressure of a flurry of punches. Big performance by Fowler, big statement. And I hope for Adam, who is, you know, kind of a friend of mine, I suppose, in terms of being on the podcast a lot of times. I hope now he has time to reflect calmly and coolly on, on what the future may hold. Took a lot of punishment tonight and I don't want to see him suffer too much more. I know he had the reprieve. The experts reviewed his brain scan last year, decided that he could fight again. But I do uh, worry about the damage long term. We had Tris Dixon on the podcast, esteemed boxing journalist who loves the sport, but is conflicted. I suppose in a similar way to me because the damage it wreaks upon people's bodies, particularly their minds and brains, because of those blows to the head. And he uh, is bringing out a book next year called Damage about the chronic, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, in particular CTE, premature dementia related to it, all those kind of things. And, he, and also a book here I've read, which is a great one of Tris's Road to Nowhere, outlines. You know, former wonderful champions in the States. He traverses the whole of the continent, North America, and um, brings to bear in lots of instances the sort of sad cases of guys in their 60s and 70s. And there will be women to add to that because the main card tonight is Terry Harper against Natasha Jonas. And uh, that will ultimately be women that will be involved in um, in the picture of, of struggling health-wise um, because of the reality of it. If you um, enjoyed that podcast with Josh, I hope you did interested to get his his sort of opinion on, on living in the bubble at the moment at events the different world that we are all living in i hope you're well by the way health wise and financially and, and and socially and however it may be affecting you emotionally at the moment the surreal world that we occupy um but yeah if you like the podcast appreciate if you could rate it on itunes and if you want to follow me on social media let me know how you you thought and reflected upon the podcast ed underscore draper 81 on Instagram, Ed Draper 81 on Twitter. I guess I'm more active on Twitter. I'm not kind of wholly comfortable with the somewhat vainglorious sort of aspects of Instagram. Not to judge anyone, but just feel slightly uneasy, sort of selfies and things like that, and trying to depict things always in pictures. Sometimes Twitter's easy with just kind of reflections and and sort of thoughts or news or you know links to content. So. Um, but then again, Twitter is quite acerbic, isn't it? At times, there's a lot of judgment talking of that. Um, Thank you for uh, listening to the podcast, guys. Appreciate it. If you want to optimize your immunity, if you're concerned with winter coming, with these resurgences of the pandemic, or just trying to get healthy and, and, and do whatever you can, I think um, we're certainly big believers of the family. My dad, a doctor and a nutritionist in Cytoplan supplements. And as I say, he's working on a new one coming out, a sort of holistic one that will include things like fish oil, vitamins A, B, C, D. I'm not going to do the whole alphabet. Um, but you get the picture, and uh, if you want to optimize your immunity, if you want to get a supplement sample, 10% discount at cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, with the code DRAPER10, all capital letters, D-R-A-P-R-1-0, you'll get a 10% discount. And uh, thanks again to the sponsor of the podcast as well, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, experts in home installations and bespoke home entertainment services as well. Get in touch with them through Bang & Olufsen, Cheltenham, social media and the website. Phone numbers there listed, etc., etc.
etc thank you for listening to the podcast guys and hope you have a great weekend it'll be blisteringly hot in the uk at least the south it was raining at the cricket today in manchester but i guess always rains in manchester uh, thank you and goodbye for now